We are going to turn our attention to God's Word. If you brought your Bibles here today, you can turn to Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And as you can probably tell, it seems to happen every three or four months or so. My kids get sick, and then they pass it on to me. And uh, because I think so much of my job is yelling, and by my job, of course, I mean my job as a parent, not my job as a pastor, uh, it tends to affect my voice a little bit. So I have a little bit of a weak voice here today, so I'm sorry about that. It's probably going to be a little frustrating at times to listen to me. We'll see if I'm able to make it through. Uh, but one of the things that's always comforted me is the Bible tells us that God can speak through a donkey. So if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a voice that's not its strongest. And so you just have to bear with me here today. Daniel chapter 1 is where we are. Uh, we're going to put a phrase on the screen right now. And the phrase is this. It's when circumstances go wrong, faith stands strong. When circumstances go wrong, faith stands strong. And I want you to say this statement with me. And I want you to remember, I'm the one with the weak voice, not you. Okay? So I want you to say it loud and strong. Ready? One, two, three. When circumstances go wrong, faith stands strong. Let's try it one more time. Okay? Ready? When circumstances go wrong, faith stands strong. Good job. I feel like I just have one good cough I have to get out, and then I'm going to be all good. So let me get this cough out. Okay? <coughs> Much better. There we go. Today we are continuing the sermon series Control Freak that we started last week. And if you're here last week, you know that we started this, uh, the sermon series Control Freak. It's all designed to answer one question. And that question is this. We'll put it on the back of the screen. It's when life feels out of control, what can we do as God's people? When life feels out of control, what can we do as God's people? And that's the question that we're going to be spending the next several weeks answering. And as we begin here today, what I want to do is I want to circle back to something that I talked about last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you know we took a look at the book of Habakkuk in our Bibles. And one of the things I touched upon very briefly last week is I touched upon a little bit about how out of control our world, especially our nation, seems like now. I talked very briefly, for example, about the political realm. I talked about the economy. I talked about AI, even about artificial intelligence. I talked about some of the moral decay we see in our nation right now. And out of that message that I taught last week, I had some people ask me a question. And the question was this, you know, Chris, if God is in charge of everything, which is one of the things that the book of Habakkuk teaches us, if God is in charge of everything, then why do you think God is allowing things to be so chaotic right now? Why do you think God is allowing things to feel so out of control in our nation right now? And you know what? That is an excellent question. And it's also, just so you know, a little bit of a dangerous question. It's always dangerous to presume the mind of God. It's always dangerous to try to contemplate the reasons that God has for things. Uh, but that being said, as I was thinking about that question this past week, I was reminded of a quote by Anne Graham Lotz. And she's a daughter of Billy Graham. And this is something that she said soon after the, the September 11th attacks. This is over 20 years ago. And less than a month after those attacks, Anne was on one of those morning programs. And she was asked by an anchor a very similar question to what I was asked this past week. Why would God allow such a terrible thing to happen to our nation? And I've always found her, her answer to be very insightful. Let me read it. We'll also put it on the screen. Anne said this. She said, I say God is also angry when he sees something like this. I would also say for several years now, Americans in a sense have shaken their fist at God and said, God, we want you out of our schools, our government, our business. We want you out of our marketplace. And God, who is a gentleman, has just quietly backed out of our national and political life, our public life, removing his hand of blessing and protection. 
She goes on to say, we need to turn to God first of all and say, God, we're sorry we have treated you in this way, and we invite you now to come into our national life. We put our trust in you. We have in God we trust on our coins. We need to practice it. And what a response, right? And essentially what Anne is saying here is she's saying, you know, we as a nation, we have told God to get out of as many things as possible. Can we be surprised then when God gives us what we ask for? You know, one of the things that the Bible tells us, men and women, is one of the best things that God does for us is he protects us from ourselves, meaning he protects us from our own evil. Well, if we keep telling God that we don't want him anymore, can we be surprised when God says, okay, you can have what you want? That's what Anna's saying here. And listen, Anne said this 22 years ago, right? How much truer is this today? You see, in my opinion, it is very, very clear what is going on in our nation right now and maybe even in our world. And that is we are reaping what we have sowed. We are experiencing the consequences of our actions. We are finding out what happens as a nation when we declare to God that we don't want him to be involved in our lives anymore. And the end result is what we're seeing going on around us. It's the chaos and it's the evil. But make no mistake about it, men and women, God is still in charge of all of this. He is still in control. And I say that by way of introduction because what I think is going on in our nation right now is not all that different, I don't believe, than what was going on in the time and circumstances surrounding uh, the book of Daniel that we're taking a look at today and the character of Daniel that we're going to take a look at in our Control Freak sermon series. So today, we're going to take a look at some selections from Daniel chapter 1 in our Bible. And to give you a sense of how the whole Bible fits together, the events of Daniel chapter 1 that we're taking a look at today, they come right on the heels of Habakkuk that we looked at last week. If you remember last week, the prophet Habakkuk was told by God that in order to punish the evil in Israel, God was going to raise up a more evil nation, the Babylonians, to invade the Israelites. Well, that prediction of Habakkuk is what kicks off the book of Daniel. You see this in verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and that's another name for Israel, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And so what we see there is what was predicted in Habakkuk has now become a reality. But remember also what Habakkuk told us. Habakkuk told us that it was ultimately God who was going to be behind all this. It was God who was going to be allowing all of this. And the book of Daniel tells us the exact same thing. That's what you see at the beginning of verse 2. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Stop right there. And you see it in the first four words there, right? And the Lord delivered. And that's what we talked about last week. It was God who ultimately allowed Israel to be taken captive. And again, make no mistake about it, men and women, it is God who is allowing everything that's going on in our nation right now. A pastor I like to listen to sometimes, John MacArthur, he makes the observation that as much as the Joe Bidens and Kamala Harris's and Donald Trump's of the world, as much as they like to think that they're running our country, I got news for you, I got news for them, they're not. And this is not a political statement, men and women. This is a biblical statement. 
The Bible is clear on this. It's God who gives people power on this earth. It's God who sets up kings, and it's God who disposes kings. There is no one who can do anything on this earth apart from the will of God. We remember what we learned last week, right? Not even a bird can die on this earth apart from the will of our Father. That's how in charge of things our God is. So as we see here, it is God who allowed Nebuchadnezzar to invade Jerusalem. And soon after Nebuchadnezzar invades Jerusalem, he comes up with a plan. And we see this plan unfold for us in verses 3 through 5 of Daniel chapter 1. Look with me there. It says, And the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the, young, some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter into the king's service. Stop there. And so what we see here is we see this very shrewd plan that King Nebuchadnezzar comes up with. You see, any, the concerns of any leader taking over a new group of people, whether it be a king taking over a new nation or whether it be a CEO taking over a new company, is that leader wants to make sure that the people that he or she is leading, they want to make sure that those people are following them. And that's definitely the case for Nebuchadnezzar. The last thing in the world that Nebuchadnezzar wants is an uprising of the Jewish people of this new nation that he just conquered. And so, in order to ensure that that doesn't happen, Nebuchadnezzar comes up with a plan. <coughs> and the plan is this. What Nebuchadnezzar decides to do is he decides that he's going to force some young men from Israel to serve in the Babylonian government. And the idea behind that plan is, listen, if the Israelite people can see some of their fellow Jews serving in the Babylonian government, well, then that can go a long way to ensure the loyalty of the Israelites. And so that's the plan that Nebuchadnezzar comes up with. But Nebuchadnezzar, he decides to take it even a step further. He doesn't want just Israelite people serving in his government. No, he wants the Israelite people serving in his government. He wants them to look and to act and to think like Babylonians. Because if he did that, imagine the impact that this could have on the Israelites that he conquered. And so what Nebuchadnezzar does is we're told he forces some young people in Israel, not just any young people, we're told they're, no, they're nobility, they're descendants of the royal family in Israel, which means they're some of the most important people in Israel. And we're told he takes these young people and he brings them to Babylon. And essentially what Nebuchadnezzar does is he begins an indoctrination program. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about indoctrinating our kids and that sort of thing. Well, Nebuchadnezzar literally begins an indoctrination program. He forces these young Israelites to enroll in Babylon U, in Babylon University. And the idea is that he wants to turn them into Babylonians. And this program is pretty comprehensive. We're told that these young men, they have to learn the Babylonian language. We're told they have to learn the Babylonian literature. We're told a couple of verses later that they're given new Babylonian names. And we're even told that they're only allowed to eat Babylonian food. And this is really important. You know, and a very important part of any culture is the food, Right? And so Nebuchadnezzar, he wants to ensure that these Israelites, that they end up enjoying Babylonian food. And so, as I said, it's a pretty all-encompassing program. You have to hand it to Nebuchadnezzar. He knows what he's doing. And he's trying to indoctrinate these young men from Israel. Well, among these young men that Nebuchadnezzar chooses 
are four individuals that the book of Daniel really focuses on. The first one is Daniel, who the book of Daniel is named after, and probably who wrote the book of Daniel. And then three of Daniel's friends. And those friends are known as Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Except for those three friends, they're better known by the new Babylonian names that they are given. And that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those are all the same people. And so they become a part of this program that Nebuchadnezzar puts into place. And what I want you to do right now, brothers and sisters, is I want you to think for a moment what it was like to be one of the young men forced to enroll in this program. In fact, as best as you can, what I want you to do right now is I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Daniel and imagine what it was like to be him. You know, I think one of the things we forget sometimes is the people we read about in our Bibles, they were real people. Daniel was a real person. And Daniel wasn't just a real person. He was a young person. Most scholars believe that he was probably only 13 or 14 years old when the events of Daniel chapter 1 take place. And therefore, can you imagine all that he is having to deal with at a young age? I mean, his life in one moment is turned completely upside down. And perhaps worst of all, none of this is his fault. You know, the judgment that God brought on the nation of Israel, it was not because of the youth of Israel. It was because of their parents. It was because of their previous generations. But now Daniel has to suffer and his friends have to suffer because of other people's mistakes. And in light of that, that leads to a question. And the question is this. If you found yourself in a situation like that, what would you do? How would you respond? And that is a very relevant question for us. You know, in this Control Freak sermon series... As we talk about feelings of being out of control, as we talk about even feelings of life falling apart, one of the things I've found in life is, you know, it's one thing to feel like your, your life is falling apart as a consequence for your own poor decisions. You send out an email at work that you shouldn't have sent out in haste and you have to suffer consequences for that. That's one thing. It's another thing, however, <coughs> excuse me, to feel like you're facing the consequences or rough uh, patches in your life as a result of the consequences of other people's decisions. That's a lot harder to experience. I know because I've been through that. This past week I was, I was thinking back to a church experience that I had before this one. And at a previous church I was, I was at before this one, uh, I was hired on at this church to be the associate teaching pastor under a lead teaching pastor. And this lead teaching pastor was someone that I really admired, I really respected, and I was really excited to learn from him. Well, soon after I came on staff, the lead teaching pastor, he ended up leaving. And not only did he leave, but he went very, not very far away, and he ended up planning a church, or, or being a part of a church, where a lot of people from the church that I was now at, they left that church, and they went to this individual's church. And because of that, that led to one of the toughest seasons in my entire life. Because here I was trying to fill a role that I wasn't prepared for, that I wasn't trained for. And at times I felt like I was having to compete with someone that I never, ever wanted to compete with. And it was really tough. And what was worst about it is that the, the toughness I was feeling, it wasn't because of the decisions I made. It was because of the decisions that other people made. And from that experience, I know firsthand the emotions and the feelings and the temptations that begin to overtake you when you find yourself in a situation like that. And for me especially, those emotions and feelings were ones of, of bitterness and cynicism. And that bitterness and cynicism, it really showed itself in one of two ways. Sometimes it showed itself in terms of anger. 
You just kind of walk around this life with a short fuse. You find yourself angry at anyone and anything, including sometimes even angry at God for allowing to happen in your life what he allowed to happen. And so sometimes that cynicism and bitterness, sometimes it shows itself in anger. Other times, however, it can show itself in selfishness and compromise and self-destructive actions. This is what I think we saw a lot of at the beginning of COVID. Remember at the beginning of COVID when otherwise very loving and generous people were fighting over a roll of toilet paper? Remember that? That was a crazy season, wasn't it? Or or I think about the way that alcohol sales increased exponentially during that time. As people were trying to cope with what was going on by checking out. And and people were joking about it, right? There There were memes on social media about the new alcoholism that people were embracing. And that's the other thing that cynicism can produce. It can produce this attitude of, well, life has gotten bad, so we might as well do bad things. Life has gotten tough. It's not my fault, so I have the right to do anything that I want. And those are very common reactions to suffering the consequences of other people's decisions. And if I can say it kind of candidly right now, men and women, I'm seeing a lot of that in our day and age, even among God's people. In fact, I might say especially among God's people. It seems like a lot of Christians these days are really angry. And it seems like a fair number of Christians these days are really cynical and a little bit bitter. Well, listen to me. If there is one person who had the right to act that way, it was Daniel. Remember, he was just 14. And overnight, his life changed for the worse through no fault of his own. If as a result of that, if Daniel had turned into a troubled, cynical teen, would anybody have blamed him? Would anybody have faulted him? But Daniel didn't do that. And there are two reasons why. And these are lessons for us today. You may, in fact, want to write these down. You see, Daniel knew something, men and women. And the first thing that Daniel knew is what we already talked about. He knew that God was in charge. In fact, three times in this passage, Daniel uses the same exact phrase in the original Hebrew. It kind of gets changed in our English translations. But the phrase is, and the Lord gave. And the Lord gave. You see it in verse 2, you see it in verse 9, and you see it in verse 17. And that's Daniel's way of saying that even in this place of destruction and wickedness, God was still there. He was still present. He was still in control. That's the first thing that Daniel knew. And that then led to the second thing that Daniel knew. If God was still in charge, what Daniel knew then is he knew that the most important thing that he could do is honor God. And he knew that if he honored God, God would honor him. In fact, sometimes I wonder if Daniel's favorite verse in the Old Testament was 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. We'll put it on the screen. It says this. It says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And what a verse for our day and age, right? You may want to memorize it. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And that's what Daniel decided to do. Rather than to succumb to bitterness, rather than succumb to to compromise, what Daniel decided to do is he decided to remain fully committed to God. And that's what we see in verse 8. It says this, it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. And I love the beginning of that verse. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Literally that reads, But Daniel set upon his heart not to defile himself. 
You see, in this indoctrination program that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, Daniel and his friends, they drew the line at something. They were not going to eat the Babylonian food. And the reason why is because there is no way that the Babylonian food was going to be prepared according to the strict dietary laws of the Old Testament. And so for Daniel and his friends to eat that food, that would be for them to sin against God. And Daniel didn't want to dishonor God in that way. And so as a result of that, Daniel made what I believe is one of the ultimate sacrifices. He and his friends decided for the next three years that they were going to only eat vegetables and they were going to only drink water. And brothers and sisters, I can think of few things worse than that. I don't know if you know this, but I absolutely cannot stand vegetables. Maybe that's why I get sick so much, right? But I can't. I would rather eat spam every day for three years than eat vegetables every day. For, I would starve if I were Daniel, okay? Literally, I would. But Daniel and his friends, they decided to do this hard thing. And I love that. Because, you know, even though Daniel was in a foreign country here, even though he was suffering the consequences of other people's mistakes, and therefore, even though a cynic would say, well, Daniel, you need to just throw up your hands and say, God abandoned me, so I'm going to abandon him. Daniel didn't do that. He didn't choose compromise. But not only did Daniel not choose compromise, he also didn't choose anger. And that's what you see starting in verse 11. So when Daniel comes up with this plan not to eat the king's food, he asks for permission from his overseer to do that. And his overseer first initially says no. And the reason why is the overseer is afraid he's going to get in trouble by Nebuchadnezzar if he allows these Israelites not to eat this food. And so he says no. Well, I want you to see Daniel's response, verse 11. It says, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. <coughs> and do you see what Daniel does there? Or more importantly, do you see what Daniel doesn't do there? He doesn't get angry. And he doesn't threaten anybody. You see, I can imagine a scenario, men and women, where in the face of this no that Daniel received, I can imagine Daniel getting very indignant. And I can imagine Daniel shaking his fist at his overseer and saying, hey, don't you know my God is the one true God and you are not on God's side and if you don't let me do this, God is going to judge you, God's going to smite you, God's going to send you to hell. And in fact, if some Christians today were in Daniel's shoes, that's the route that they would take. But Daniel doesn't do that. And said, what does Daniel do? Well, definitely he doesn't back down. But at the same time, he is calm, he is respectful, and he is even clever and creative. He comes up with a plan. He says, hey, allow us to do this for 10 days and see what happens. And his overseer agrees to that plan. And I think Daniel here is exhibiting something that we need to remember in our day and age, and that is this. It's that chaos and unfortunate circumstances are never an excuse for bad behavior. It's that chaos and unfortunate circumstances are never an excuse for bad behavior. I've talked about this before. Listen, there is a lot these days that we as Christians are going to disagree with when it comes to the world around us. But we need to remember, brothers and sisters, that we are called as Christians to disagree without being disagreeable. 
That even though we may believe vehemently differently than those around us, that's never an excuse to resort to insult or name-calling or unrighteous anger. And we need to let 14-year-old Daniel be an example to us in that regard. To touch on a little bit of a controversial issue these days, I think of everything that's going on with Target these days. And what an absolute mess, right? And listen, I don't agree with anything that Target is doing these days. I think it's terrible, some of the stuff that is going on here. But I'll tell you what, even though we as Christians may disagree with some of the decisions that Target is making, that's never an excuse to threaten violence, as some people are doing. It was Jesus himself who said, those who live by the sword will die by sword. Those who live by violence will die by violence. And that's why I love Daniel's response here. In the situation that Daniel was in, he acted with truth and boldness and decisiveness, which is what we all need to do. But he also acted with grace and goodness and kindness even, which is also what we all need to do. And look at the end result of this, verse 15 to almost the end of the chapter. It says, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Oh, that sounds terrible. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time, set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And I love this. Daniel and his friends honored God. They didn't succumb to bitterness. They didn't succumb to compromise. They didn't succumb to anger. And what was the result? God honored them. God took care of them. And that's why I think Daniel is such a model for us today. As I was working on this message this past week, I couldn't help but think of that famous quote by Chuck Swindoll. And I'm sure we have shared this with you dozens of times. But Daniel is such an example of it. Pastor Chuck once famously said this. He said, the longer I live, the more I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. And what a quote for our time, right? The longer I live, the more I'm convinced that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. You know, listen, we may debate and disagree on the reasons why. But the reality is things feel out of control right now. They do. They feel out of control. And it's my opinion, men and women, that they are never going back. We have passed the point of no return. That's what I believe. And each one of us is impacted by this. In fact, in the conversations that I get with, in these, with people these days, kind of the primary feeling that people are telling me that they have right now is things just seem crazy. Things seem out of control. And some of that is related to what's going on in our world right now, but some of that is completely independent of that. I think I'm learning as an adult that just being an adult means that things will feel crazy quite a bit. In fact, I love this meme. I'm sure some of you have come across it before, but it says this. It says, being an adult is saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit over and over and over again until you die. And that's so true, isn't it? I also love this meme, by the way. I don't have a picture for it, but it says this. It says, being an adult is constantly dieting only to always end up 20 pounds overweight. And that's also very true, isn't it? And listen, I got bad news for you, not about the dieting, but about the control thing. I got bad news for you. We can't control things around us. 
We can't control circumstances. If there's anything that COVID taught us, it taught us that. But while we can't control circumstances around us, that doesn't mean that we can't control anything. No, there is one very important thing that we can control in the midst of the craziness around us. And what do you think it is? We can control ourselves. Specifically, we can control how we respond to things. We can control our actions, and we can control our attitudes. And as Chuck says, that goes a long way. Life is 10% what happens to us, but it's 90% how we react to it. You see, the Bible, men and women, the Bible has no room for what is often called the victim mentality. And what's the victim mentality? It's what I talked about earlier. It's an attitude that says, well, life has gotten tough. It's not my fault, so I'm going to do what it is that I want. And that's what leads to the cynicism and the bitterness and the anger and the harmful and destructive behaviors that some people turn to. And that's the way some people live, isn't it? Well, the Bible doesn't have any room for that. As we said, if there's one person that we might allow to have that attitude, if there's one person that we might give a pass in this life, it would be Daniel. But Daniel didn't do that. Why? It's because of what we talked about. It's because Daniel recognized that no matter what, God was in charge. And therefore, it didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter what was going on around him. Daniel's biggest responsibility was to honor God. And he knew that if he honored God, God would honor him. It's what I had you repeat earlier, right? When circumstances go wrong, faith stands strong. And that's the lesson for us. Listen, some of you are in very difficult situations right now. And worst of all, they're not your fault. You are suffering the consequences of other people's decisions. And listen, I I feel for you because I've been in situations like that and I know how tough it can be. But here's what I know. God's still in charge. He's not abandoning you. He's still there where you are. And if you honor him, he will honor you. If you are faithful to him, he will reward you, definitely in the next life, but also often in this life as well. And so we have a choice. Will we choose cynicism and bitterness and anger and compromise, which are ultimately self-destructive behaviors, which ultimately work just to destroy ourselves? Or will we choose faith? Will we choose to honor God? That is the choice we have in every single situation, and that is the choice that we have every single day. That's the choice that you have in your work. I talked about this last week. Some of you have a bad boss, and listen, I know. I've had him before. I know how difficult life can be with a bad boss. But I also know that the Bible tells us that we don't work for any human master. We work ultimately for God. So how can you change your attitude at your work? And how can you go in each day to honor God? And how can you trust God to work in the situation that is your job? That's the choice that we have in our work. That's the choice that we have with our kids. Maybe there's a a situation right now with your kid at school. It's the end of the year. You know that your teachers don't like your son or daughter, and so they're not going to give them a fair shake. How can you respond in faith in that situation? You're not powerless in that situation. Not only can we pray, which is what we talked about last week, but we can talk to the teacher. We can talk to the principal. We can move our kid to a new school next year. But if we decide to do these things, we need to remember Daniel's example. We don't fly off the handle. We don't get angry. We don't resort to passive aggressiveness. We don't spread rumors. We don't resort to insults. Instead, we're respectful and we're filled with grace. That's the situation that we have involving our kids. And that's the situation that we have everywhere. Maybe there are some of you here facing a situation like Daniel's. 
Maybe there's a situation at your work that is pressing up against your faith. Maybe it's something involving pronouns at your work. Or maybe you're a teacher and you're having to teach something that you don't agree with. Or maybe you're a student and you're feeling the the pull of your friends to go their direction. Well, listen, we need to get used to those things. Because the pull of the world is always going to be to get us to be more like it, to compromise, to get us to follow down its path. Let me urge you, stand strong, resist, and I promise you, God will take care of you. It doesn't mean that you won't have to go through difficulties, but God will strengthen you in the midst of those difficulties. It's 2 Chronicles 16, 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So we remain fully committed to God. That's what we can control in the midst of chaos. And we allow God to take care of the rest. You know, as I was working on this message this past week, I was reminded of a story, and I'll close with this. But we're going to put a picture on the screen. And this is a picture of a woman by the name of Edith Macefield, and she has since passed away. But Edith has an incredible story attached to her. You see, years ago, Edith owned a home on a busy street in Seattle, Washington, and this home was under, or this street was undergoing some changes. It was becoming more urban. In fact, there was a company that wanted to buy up all the homes on this street and to build a big commercial building. And the company was almost able to do that. All of Edith's neighbors ended up selling out and they ended up moving. Edith, however, she didn't want to move. She liked her house and she wanted to stay. And so the company, they, asked, they offered her $500,000 for her house. She wouldn't take it. They offered her $750,000 for her house. She wouldn't take it. They offered her a million dollars for her house. And understand, her house was like 800 square feet. It wasn't worth that. But she wouldn't take that. She didn't want to move. And guess what? The builders couldn't do anything. The house was hers. The land was hers. And so she had a right to do with it what she wanted. And so the company couldn't make her move. So you know what they did? Put the next picture on the screen. They ended up building the building around her. They couldn't make her move, and so they ended, left her house, and they built around her. And guess what? Edith still didn't move. She stayed in her house until she died. And I love that story, men and women, because you know who Edith is? She's the definition of you can't control circumstances, but you can control yourself. She's the definition of life is 10% what happens to you, but 90% how you respond to it. She's the definition of one who stood strong when things went wrong. And Edith's story has become an inspiration to millions. You may be able to tell this, but the movie Up was based in part on her story. And there are people today who literally get Edith Macefield tattoos. Can you believe that? Isn't that incredible? And in this way, Edith is kind of like a modern-day Daniel. And guess what? The world needs more people like her. You know, the times are tough, men and women. But this past week, something occurred to me that had never occurred to me before. And what occurred to me is, did you know that you and me, we have been chosen by God to be his people in the time that we're living in? We need to realize that. If God is sovereignly in charge of everything, then he has chosen us to be his people in this time. And he has chosen us, I believe, because he knows that we can be the Daniels and the Hananias and the Mishaels and the Azarias of our day. He knows that we can be the Esthers and the Sarahs and the Marys of our generation. He knows that we can stand strong in the face of our own King Nebuchadnezzars and our own King Herods. He knows that we will not falter. And he knows that we will not fall. He knows that. So let's not disappoint him. 
We can't control what is going on around us, brothers and sisters, but we can control how we respond to it. And who knows, maybe one day, years from now, God's people will be learning about us, and they will be learning about our witness and our faith and our goodness in the midst of dark times. You know, it's been asked before, brothers and sisters, where are the Daniels of today? Well, I know where they are. They are in this room, and they are in this church. That is what I believe. And that's why, and that's why as we close here today, I want us to declare what we said at the beginning, but I want to make it personal, okay? When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. And I want you to say that with me, okay? Ready? When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. Let's try it again a little bit stronger, okay? When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. Let's say it again. When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. Again, when circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. Make me lose my voice. Say it louder than me, okay? Ready? When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. One more time for good measure. As strong as you can. When circumstances go wrong, my faith will stand strong. Do you declare that here today? Well, let's stand strong for our Lord. Let's stand as we worship together.